It's the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Sean Del Grand. And we've got over 800 brand new Mazdas with outstanding incentives, like low monthly lease payments and low APR financing. Yep, it's just a great time to buy. So don't miss the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Financing on approval of credit. Welcome to the Stanley Cup Playoff Report. Here are Dan Rusinowski and Drew Remenda. Lucky 13, the episode <laughs> of the Stanley Cup Playoff Report from the Sharks Audio Network. Game one has been played. It is the Tampa Bay Lightning looking for their third straight Stanley Cup against the Colorado Avalanche. Avalanche squeak one out and take the one game to nothing lead and all kinds of activity in this game. Lots of drama, lots of excitement and Drew. Uh, certainly a lot of attention around North America. Yes, the good ratings, a good amount of people watching uh, the Stanley Cup finals. You've got two, there's no Cinderella teams as we talked about last time. These are the two best teams in the National Hockey League. Just the way they play, the elite level skill players that they have, the amount, both the quantity and quality of, of players they have, outstanding. The game was so fast right off the bat. It was a quick, quick game. Colorado get out, gets out to a 2 nothing lead. 2-1. Horrible call to make it a 5-1-3 and then the 3-1 lead. But then Tampa... Tampa has the ability, Danny, when they know that things are going to go sideways. They know that things aren't going to go as planned every game. They know that in the playoffs, you've got to be able to overcome some challenges. And they're down 3-1. They tie it up 3-3. And even though they didn't play very well, they were within one shot of taking that one nothing lead. But again, they haven't won the first game in I don't know how long. And especially in this playoffs, they haven't won the first game at all. Doesn't seem to matter to them. And obviously nope. that comes from something going on in the dressing room, which Steven Stamkos, the captain of the Lightning, talked about. I think it's just belief in in ourselves and belief in the, the work that you put in and, and the systems and the way the coaches prepare you, I mean, as players. But trust is, that's the, that's the word. You know, we trust every guy that goes over that boards to do his job. And whether you, you score a goal or, or not, it's the little things that you do. It's the defending. It's the block shots. It's the sacrifice. It's not complaining about your role. It's just going out and just playing as hard as you can for the next guy that sits beside you in that locker room. And that's why this group is so special. You know, we don't know what's going to happen here in the next, you know, 10 to 14 days, but we know we're going to give it our all. And, um, it's gotten us this far again, and like I said, it's just, a, it's, a, it's just a special group and a treat to be part of. Being on the West Coast, Drew, we don't have as much contact with Stephen Stamkos as no. uh, some teams in that division, but the more I hear him, the more I think he is one of the most astute observers of the professional hockey human condition. <laughs> very, very well put, my friend. Um, one of the things he said in there is not complaining about your role, how many shifts you get. I remember we'll go back to that. Bob Airy's 16 things to win the Stanley Cup list. And Bob had on that list one shift is as important as 20. And that's what Steven Stamkos is talking about there. You're playing for each other. I think I said it last time. I used to think Steven Stamkos was a pretty boy goal scorer. Somewhere along the line, he became a warrior. I was talking to Brian Engblom the other day on the radio show I do here in, in Saskatchewan. Brian was our guest. And and I asked him about that. I said, was I wrong about Stamkos? And he went, 
Well, that's kind of an open-ended question. You're wrong about a lot of things, but you probably weren't wrong about this. He said, probably when the big injuries hit him, that's when he started to become that guy, that, that vet, that grizzles. I'm going to grind through everything. And I'm going to become, as you said, more astute observer of what's going on around me and what it takes to be a champion. Because he was always really, really skilled, but he was, wasn't a champion. And then he became one. And then it's continued on. He is a warrior, that guy. Boy, he is. And I, I can hear a future coach or general manager oh, yeah. in him yeah. without question of a doubt, just by the way that he uh, uh, ascribes importance to things that, that maybe not everybody thinks about. But the other thing about him that, that people don't necessarily know, we do know, is he's got the most amazing memories. One of those guys where you could yeah. say December 23rd, 2011, and he'd know exactly where he was, what he was wearing and what happened <laughs> on that day. Unique condition. I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse. <laughs> I think ignorance is bliss, Danny, at my age. That's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> I'm with it. Let's go to the highlights from game number one. Colorado Avalanche looked like they were in total command in the Mile High City when it all got started, and their captain, Gabe Landeskog, got them in front. Now Nathan McKinnon gets to it. Spins back. Some peace and quiet in his own corner. Now Bowen Pyre on the breakout pass. Through center ice, Byram across the blue line. Leads it for Rantanen. Rantanen in the circle. Let's it go. Shot on. Score! It snuck through Vasilevsky. And I think it's Landeskog who's standing on the doorstep. And he taps it in. Oh, Captain. My Captain. I, th I, I think. And so that was one nothing in favor of the Avalanche. And then shortly after that, Valery Nuchushkin, who is... Having a very important oh, wow. role for this Colorado team. Put them up to nothing. Board check continues for the Avalanche. They keep the pressure alive. McKinnon now centrally for Nachushkin. Let's it go. He scores! It's the 2-2 train. Valeri Nachushkin pulling into the station with his sixth goal of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And all of a sudden, it's 2-0 Colorado, not halfway through the first period. Yeah, that was some goal. And of course, you were saying, oh, wow, when it came to Nichushkin, he really yeah. has stepped forward, hasn't he? He really has. There was an article today up here in Canada about the value. You know, it was all analytic stuff, but he is doing so much right. And it goes back to what we're talking about. You're missing Kadri, so you need somebody to step up, right? So Nichushkin is the guy that's doing that. But the other aspect of Nichushkin's game is that he is he's that depth that the Colorado Avalanche have been looking for. The last pre previous years when they were knocked out in the second round, they, they were missing that secondary scoring. Nachushkin is adding that, and now he's able to play top line, second line. They put him wherever they need him, and he, he produces. Here's something else in the, in the area of depth on the other side of the ice. Braden Point back in, picks up an assist in this game, played almost 18 minutes of ice time, and I think that as, as this series goes on, like the Lightning, he's going to get better and better. He was actually pretty darn good. He was really good in face-offs um, and at being out for 10, nine, 10 games. I think it was, he, he looked okay. And, and John Cooper said yesterday after practice, there's a very good chance. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge that he'll play more minutes. They kind of were guarded with him in his minutes playing, but um, there's a big chance he'll play more minutes without a doubt going in. And yeah, he looked, he looked terrific. Interesting also in this series is how the Lightning are going to handle the Nathan McKinnon line. You heard when Nichushkin scored, McKinnon was obviously on the ice. And here's what uh, Sorelli said all about that. I mean, I think the biggest thing is turnovers. And, and you, know, you know, you don't want to be turning over the puck in, in areas where they could go and, and come down. So um, I think just being aware 
whoever when those guys are on the ice and um, just trying to be in good spots. We talk a lot, Drew, about how great Tampa tracks back defensively, but you notice yeah. Anthony Sorelli talking more about when they have the puck, that's when the key moment is for when McKinnon's lines on the ice. Yeah, absolutely. And Sorelli, Kalorn, and Hagel have been a line that's been really trusted to shut down the other team's top lines. They weren't very good against McKinnon's line. In fact, they, they didn't have a very good game, and that's odd for that line. Um, so when tomorrow rolls around in that game tomorrow, I'll expect that line to be much better. But what, what Sorelli was talking about, about when you have the puck, the forecheck, the work by the Colorado Avalanche, they took the puck away from the Tampa Bay Lightning 17 times versus four times. That is, that's what Tampa does. And because of the quickness and the aggressiveness in that forecheck, um, they put Sorelli's line in their own zone a lot. And that usually doesn't happen. It was two, nothing Colorado at that point. And then Tampa Bay decided they were going to start to get a little bit better. And here comes Nick Paul. Winds it behind the Colorado net. Bull Byram trying to clear it at the far side of Logan O'Connor. He'll golf it out. Ruda pops to point. Braden point pivots in his own zone for Hedman. He'll lift it down the ice. This is not an icing. Paul after it wins it. He got checked. Score! Nick Paul! What a goal! The Lightning are on the board. They make it 2-1 to one with 7.34 left in the first. It really was a great goal. And think about, you know, cagey moves by the organizations yeah. at the Tade trade deadline. They pick him up for Matthew Joseph in a fourth-round pick. And this kid has come through like gangbusters. He's been so good. He centers Corey Perry and Ross Colton. That's their third line. That's a line that um, is dangerous because every one of those guys can score but they play a heavy game too. And they play, obviously Nick Paul's a big kid and Corey Perry's Corey Perry and Colton just works, 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 works. He's the workhorse on that line. That was a, that was a, a big goal for them. That's because they were, they were struggling to start that game. They really were because the speed of the avalanche and the energy of the crowd had really pushed Tampa Bay on their heels. It did. And you know what else? It looked like Colorado had enough energy to go up five, nothing, but a sure couple, couple big saves by Vasilyevsky when he had to, it was two, one at that point. And they weren't out of the woods yet either because of a questionable call that led to a five <laughs> on three power play. And the hero of the last series, Arturi Lekkinen came up big. Can the abs keep it in? They can. McKinnon has it with 33 seconds to go. McKinnon down low Landis got. McKinnon was tripped up by Belmar. Play continues. Backdoor feed is blocked. McKinnon swats it for Landeskog below the goal line. Ranton and shoots. He scores! Tipped in front by Arturi Lekkinen. It's a work of art. It's a five-on-three goal, and the Avalanche do indeed restore their two-goal lead with 2.29 to go in the first. It is 3-1 Colorado. All of that in the first period, which was incredible. But Drew, yeah. I wanted to get back to the call on the penalty and your thoughts on it. Oh, it was terrible. That was a horrible call. It was, and John Cooper, who is the stoic and the epitome of quiet confidence and class on the bench and composure, lost it on the bench for a few seconds. He was really ticked off. It was a terrible call. But if you look at that power play, though, that's how you run a power play, man. They, that power play moves the puck around, moves their players around, and attacks downhill all the time. They're not afraid to shoot. They use a lot of shots and then fake shots across. That was a dynamite-looking power play. If you're going to get the advantage, you should, take it, you should take advantage of your advantage. 
So the Lightning are down by the score of three to one at the end of the first period. Everybody in Denver is uh, is getting ready to have a bunch of Coors Lights at the end of the game. <laughs> and then the Lightning say, not so fast, everybody. And who else but Andre Palat to get him going? Looking for Stamkos in front, off his stick. And McCarr will bust back the other way. Dale McCarr, across the blue line. Nice feed to choose, can open right circle. He shoots, that got blocked by Ryan McDonough. And McDonough winds it out to center ice. Kucherov to Palat, across the avalanche line. Back for Kucherov, high slot. Dances right circle, back in front, Pallant, score! What a play! And Pallant buries it! The Lightning may get 3-2 to two with 7.09 left in the second. And so they get a little bit of life, as so you hear Oof. Dave Mishkin's life-filled call on that when Andre <laughs> Pallant's ninth goal to the playoffs. You know, the one thing that keeps coming up, we, we've talked a lot about Pallant being in front of the net, being there to tip and so forth. That was not that case. But how about the ability and the creativity of Kucherov to create Oof. space for people that are on the ice with him? I, I think that was a big part of that goal. Huge part of the goal. What a dance by Kucherov. And Kucherov is one of those guys you think that sometimes – just the way he plays, uh, people think he's disinterested or not connected. It's just the way he does it. He's just so smooth. And when he danced, um, who was it? Was it by Johnson on that play? Yep. And then he makes the play across. What a play by uh, Nikita Kucherov, one of the best in the world. And so Palat did tip that shot, but it wasn't one of those tip, uh, typical tips. It was yeah. all set up by Kucherov. And he didn't have much problem getting it past the goaltender. But how about this? So the Lightning get a little bit of life. And less than a minute later, bam. Anthony Sorelli right circle, wheels and shoots. Blocked, the puck came down to Hagel. Brandon Hagel marches to the right corner. Right point, Sergachev. Sergachev, shoots, score! See, another quick Another quick shot. shot from Sergachev! It's 3-3! With 621 left in the second. Okay, so sling the puck toward the net. And I hear Bob Bugner's words just echoing in my brain as I hear the play-by-play -play of that call. Sergachev is a master of that. He really is. When you watch Sergachev, he's looking for that shooting lane. And that, that little quick wrister finds its way in, but it's no accident. Sergachev has taken a big step uh, this playoffs, especially in these last two rounds. Well, here we go to overtime after all of that. And it didn't last long in overtime. But the home team ended up getting the victory. And I've got uh, two different versions of how that puck went in. <laughs> Here we are with uh, version number one. And it's dumped in by Val Nachushkin heading in the other way. A pass blocked. It bounces to Sergachev. He'll chip it out. Knocking down the conference. The Lightning zone high slot. Shoots blocked. Riven Nachushkin. Right circle shot. Score Burakovsky. Burakovsky wins it. He had an open net. And the Avs take game one, four to three. They lead the series. One game to none. And so that was from Tampa's side. Now let's go over to Connor McGahee on the Avalanche's side of the broadcast booth. Pachushkin to the red line. <laughs> Couldn't get it deep. Knocked down by Hedman. His pass is blocked. Another bouncing puck. Gobbled up by JT Comper. Down the middle. Comper holds. Shoots. It's blocked. Pachushkin with it. Burkowski. He scores! Andre with a giant goal. And you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here because this party is over. Colorado wins game one in overtime. All right. So that's the other side of the broadcast booth. By the way, the broadcast booths are right next to each yeah. other. I'm surprised there isn't any bleed over. <laughs> the interesting about that, about that play. First of all, again, let's go back to Nachuskin. What a terrific play. Instead of just firing that, the shot is blocked, comes back to Nachuskin, and he's got the wherewithal, the eyes, he's got the vision to find Barakowski over the other side. And he, and he 
makes a nice little play to slide it over instead of drilling the puck. The other thing on that is the, the Tampa Bay Lightning on that particular play, Hedman didn't didn't make a very good play with the puck out into the neutral zone, and he had, right. he he struggled uh, in game one. Did he very, have a head injury? Did he get, he had a head shot that he was a little upset about and maybe he yeah, was a little I, woozy for the game. I don't know, but he, he, he did not have a strong game. And I was reading again, reading all the stats and the analytics about it. Um, a very unusual or rare off night uh, for Victor Hedman. But what did Sorelli say in that previous clip you played when Anthony was talking about how to play the game against the avalanche, you got to be, be able to not turn over the puck, manage the puck properly. And that was poor puck management that led to the, the attack and the goal. And so that's where we are. The Avalanche win game one, four, three in overtime. Drew, I think it's setting up for a fantastic final. I tell you what, game one was great. There was good ratings in the, in the United States. Um, and if, if game one had any indication and the lightning are going to be a heck of a lot better tomorrow night, without a doubt, this is going to be a fun series to watch. We move on in our Stanley Cup playoff report to get the state of the game from Gary Bettman and Bill Daly. And one of the more interesting topics in their conversation came when some members of the media decided to ask about the Evander Kane contract grievance. Bill Daly gave us an update as to the status of that. So we still have uh, hearing dates that we need to acquire from our arbitrator, Arbitrator Das. Uh, He is unavailable to us during the month of June, unfortunately. Um, So we have to work on some dates as early in the summer as we can. Um, and, uh, you know, we're currently in discussions with the Players Association uh, as to what all that means uh, in terms of, uh, of Evander's status. Because of that comment, the immediate follow-up was, what if a decision in the arbitration in this situation in the grievance happens after free agency begins on the 13th of July? I have no basis really to say at this point. I, if, if, if it goes to the second day of hearing and, and we wait for a decision from the arbitrator, which will want a written award, my guess is that'll be past the date of free agency. And so the drama continues with that grievance. Obviously, that seriously affects how you can do certain planning. The Sharks have not named the general manager yet. We would expect that perhaps by then they might be getting to a decision. But either way, with Joe Will running the ship, um, that obviously puts a little, uh, shall we say, wrench inside the works if it goes beyond the 13th. Yeah, there's, there's so much that, is, that goes into this whole situation. Um, the... The Sharks did what they thought was right. The NHLPA automatically filed their grievance, which is that's their, which is their mandate to make sure they they back their membership. Overall, on this, um, all you can do now, if you're in the Sharks situation or a Sharks fan or anybody, you just sit and wait and see what the arbitrator rules on this. Gary Bettman was also sitting at the dais on that day with the media as the Stanley Cup began. And he's had some general thoughts about the state of the game and where it's going and how he feels about it. Our league is strong, the strongest that it has ever been. Our clubs are strong and stable, the strongest and most stable they've ever been. Our business is thriving and our game on the ice, as I previously described, is sensational. Amazing. 5.2 billion plus they're expecting in revenues this year as the NHL returned to normal. I, I think that that's incredible. It is incredible. He's right about the state of the game on the ice. It is fun to watch. It is so fast. The skill level is out of this world. Never been higher. 
it is played at a pace that is just really enjoyable. Maybe that's why the ratings were so good in the playoffs. There's so many good things about the game on the ice. I don't know about the business side and about the stability of these, about the, the teams. I know that you've got really good owners and people who are really um, invested in keeping the games going or keeping their teams and at that top of the market. A lot of good things are happening. But it goes back to, and, I, and I, if I'm sounding like a sycophant here, I, I don't care. Gary Bettman gets a lot of crap dumped on him. He gets a lot of heat thrown his way, the booze, et cetera, et cetera. Although he embraces it like an OG, man. He loves, he, he plays it so well. But I would argue, I would argue he's one of the best CEOs in any business in North America, any sports business in North America right now. He is, I, I, I'd say so. He, he has he, turned, he has turned this league into when we started, Danny in 1991 to where it is now when he took over and what would he take over 94 whenever it was um, in that in that range yeah, in that i gotta range. think about that maybe think 93 about, yeah think about the change in the teams and the change in the in the league becoming a real big league thanks under the guidance of mr Batman. well the average salary was something like two hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars when he took yeah. over and now look so the players have a lot to respect him for uh, even with some of the differences they've had but uh, you look at the the stabilities of the franchises think about the problems in buffalo and in pittsburgh and in other places where uh, everybody said there's no chance that uh, that this franchise is going to survive and he did have to deal with a couple of relocations. Unfortunately, Atlanta didn't work out because the ownership there wasn't totally committed to uh, to what it took. But right. then again, vetting ownership has changed as well. The Sharks have yeah. got to be the most fortunate team given the ownership that uh, that we have here in San Jose. But right. uh, but now Gary Bettman has looked for other people like the Sharks ownership uh, to be leaders in their communities, and and I think that that's great. Yeah, absolutely. Couple of notes before we tune up, and that involves a the salary cap. The payroll range for next season will be a minimum sixty-one million dollars, and the cap will be at eighty-two point five million dollars for each team. So that's a slight increase from the last couple of years during the pandemic. That set things up for some interesting trades in the last few days. Ben Bishop was traded to Buffalo. Now he's supposedly retiring. He's not going to yeah. play again. He's had some injury problems. So this is a salary move by the Dallas Stars to get that salary from Ben Bishop over to Buffalo, who needs it to get closer to that floor of $61 million. But there's another trade too. Yevgeny Dodonov got traded by Vegas to Montreal for Shea Weber, another guy that's going to be retired. However, um, they've got a couple of other maneuvers that they're going to have to make to get to cap compliant on the other end, the upper end of the scale. Yet I thought that that trade by Dallas to Buffalo was an interesting one because uh, with a, a defenseman like John Klingberg being an unrestricted free agent in July, that's obviously a setup where Dallas is getting themselves some maneuverability in case Klingberg doesn't stick around, or it gives them a chance to find the dollars in their cap to pay him. Yep, exactly right. And this is where you're going to see a lot of those types of moves in this next little while. Um, general managers start to talk to each other because it's coming down to their time. Like, okay, this guy's going to declare a free agency. And so they're going to have to be uh, proactive. Good teams are proactive in making these decisions. So it also sets up for other teams who are looking to move guys and get some cap relief to build, build their teams. This also sets up some interesting um, speculation. The interesting thing about Dodonov is everybody remembers from Vegas, he was traded 
to Anaheim. Right? To Anaheim. That was the great thing about when the trade was announced, Anaheim's uh, Twitter guys come out with, after they announced the, the trades announced, um, to, to their Anaheim's guys come up with, are you sure? Because as when he was traded to Anaheim, to Donoff with the Ottawa Senators at the time had a no 10 team, no trade list. And Vegas did not know about that list. And they traded him to Anaheim to get cap relief so they could get their guys uh, back into. Well, and I, th- I think they assumed that he waived that when he got moved to right. Vegas. Right. And so they figured that not. that still applied, right. but it did not apply. Right. And I think Bill Daly has talked about making sure that all of these arrangements are more uh, centrally controlled so that they can make the right decision in approving the trade, which makes perfect sense to me. But yeah. I, I just can't help but think that somebody in Vegas probably called the uh, maybe the video coach and said, <laughs> Yevgeny Dodonov is not what? a duck. He is a Vegas Golden Knight. Maybe you what? can explain that story. So our first year, I'm the video. Um, Bob Murdoch, George Kingston are the other coaches. And we are in Chicago. And it's just before it's trade deadline uh, day. And Jack Farrar was always good about talking to us about players and player movement. So we're all on a, a conference call uh, at the Drake. We're at the Drake hotel and Jack and Dean and the gang are back in San Jose. And one of the guys that they talked about trading was Kelly Kissio. And we did not want Kelly Kissio be traded. The coaches we were no, 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 no. And we, we like it. We like Kelly. Kelly. Kelly's great. He's a great leader. We love him on the team. Please don't, please don't, please don't. So it sounds like we can convince Jack and everything. We hang up the phones. Uh, a little while later, my phone in my room rings. There's no cell, cell phones back then. And Bob Murdoch is on the, on the line and he goes, Kelly Kissio is now a hawk. And I went, no, he traded him. He goes, yeah. I said, who do we get? He goes, Creighton, Adam Creighton. I went, oh, damn it. I said, okay, fine. Like, you know, nothing you can do about it. Hang up the phone. Five minutes later, Bob phones back. Kelly Casio is a shark. I went, what? They traded him back to us? He goes, no, trade didn't go through. Too late. Good. Great. Fantastic. Love it. All right. All right. Talk to you, talk to you later. Hang out the phone. We're playing that night, too. <laughs> Two minutes later, phone rings again in my room. I pick up the phone. Kelly Kissio is now a hawk. This <laughs> is Bob Murdoch. I went, Mud, what the f- is going on here? And he goes, trade apparently went through. I went, oh, damn it. So I'm back to that again. Hang up the phone. 30 seconds later, pick up the phone again. Bob goes, Remenda, you've really screwed this one up. I said, what? What happened? He goes, Kelly Kissio is not a hawk. Kelly Kissio is not a shark. Kelly Kissio is suspended until they figure this stuff out. <laughs> and it all came down to, in those days, a busy fax machine exactly. right at the trade deadline time. Of course, that doesn't happen these days with the improvements in technology. But uh, the league said to the Sharks, no, don't worry about, you know, if you have a busy signal, we'll be able yeah. to get it through you. You know, just tell us what it is. And then they suddenly changed their mind after it was all over. So and, and so wouldn't you Kelly- know it? Kelly Kissio comes back. And I remember he came back the next game and scored next two game. goals. Yeah. The fans assist, went right? great. Yep. The fans yep. went crazy at the Cow Palace. And the very next season, he had 78 points. Right. And that was a record that would be held for like nine, 10 years. Exactly. It was the best trade. The Sharks never 
made, but he was such a pro, man. Can you imagine going back to the team that wanted to trade you, to trade you and you, you had to sit out a game, but you come in at the Cow Palace and you're right. He was fantastic that game. I walked by him after he shook his hand. I said, you are a pro. And he just laughed. He just gives me a slap. He was one of the golf guys that I, guys you got to golf with all the time. And Kelly Kissio works for the Vegas Golden Knights. And the Dodonov so, trade goes full So full he circle. knows <laughs> all about it, which is really a full circle moment. Uh, congratulations to a couple of our colleagues in the media. First, Al Morganti, who was named yeah. the winner of the Elmer Ferguson Memorial Award, which essentially puts him in the writer's wing of the Hockey Hall of Fame. And our colleague, Bill Clement. Uh, Foster Hewitt Memorial Award was uh, given to him this year. And so he will be a Hockey Hall of Famer. And two great guys, outstanding yep. in their fields. Congratulations to both. Yep, 100%. Well-deserved for both guys. Coaches, Bruce Cassidy goes to Vegas. John Tortorella announced the new head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers. And the Tortorella personality and style, I think, is going to fit like a glove in Philly. Perfect. Perfect. And when you with John Tortorella, I think he's one of the most misunderstood men in the National Hockey League. But one thing, you know, you go way back with John. Yeah, he was the assistant coach in New Haven when I was there. Rick Dudley was the head coach. How do you like that bench? Wow, how's that first? Calder Cup Finals. Yeah, because they're winners. Once you figure out what how what John wants and how he wants it, those guys, they go through the wall for. Him. And I love John. I I I have a great time talking to John. He He's is great, a, a terrific individual, wonderful person. Um, he is. I, I think the league's better when John's in it. I agree with that 100%. And what about Bruce Cassidy? I think he's going to do a good job in Vegas. Well, George McPhee hired Bruce Cassidy for his first head coach job in the National Hockey League when, in Washington. Uh, so it was an automatic connection. Bruce Cassidy said um, it was a no-brainer to take this job. It was a quick – He was out of a, we knew he wasn't going to be out of a job very long, and he took this one. This is a job, if there's any, as far as attractiveness job goes, on winning – which team gives you the best chance to win and continue to win? Bruce Cassidy's come from the Boston Bruins. Now he's going to a team that they still have some work to do. I still think they've got some issues, but he's still got a very talented team that he can, he can get going. Meantime, we've come to an end of another show, and we are looking forward to the show of the Stanley Cup Final. Game two coming up. We'll have more on Monday. You've been listening to the Stanley Cup Playoff Report. This has been a presentation of the San Jose Sharks Audio Network.